Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It was close, but Nancy Pelosi managed to just squeeze out a tiny victory yesterday. Yeah, uh-huh. What was the final vote? 203 to 32. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It is The Bill Press Show. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you today. How about it? Here we go. It's a Thursday next to the last day of the month of November 2018. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us. we got lots and lots to talk about all over the place. News just popping all over the place today uh, in a lot of different directions. But uh, we'll run fast to uh, get up to date ourselves and bring you up to date on the news of the day wherever it is happening, uh, whether it's here in Washington, D.C., around the country or around the globe. We're on top of it. Tell you what's going on. You tell us what it all means to you. Um, big stories that we'll be looking at, of course, yes, is the uh, couple of big votes in the Democratic caucus uh, yesterday uh, with a big victory for Nancy Pelosi and for Hakeem uh, Jeffries, uh, the uh, new head of the uh, Democratic caucus. Also, um, Donald Trump saying, Paul Manafort, yeah, he may have lied to uh, Robert Mueller, but he's still my buddy. And yeah, I might pardon him. Why not? After all, he's been covering up for me, and uh, I use my pardons to take care of my friends. That's what it's all about for him. Uh, and Donald Trump, in the meanwhile, accusing Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, James Comey, along uh, Eric Holder, and a long list of people, including the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, of treason yesterday. But that's just, you know, another day for Donald Trump in the gutter. So much to talk about, so much you want to comment on. Get ready on Twitter, at BP Show. Let's hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... (laughs) 
This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, Bill. Yes. Have you ridden one of these electric scooters yet? Uh, no. And you're not and going I to. I am not going to. And, boy, they are, they're life-threatening, man. Well, well. Not just if you're on them, but, I mean, if you're walking on the sidewalk and they knock you down. Well, there's a reason that I'm doing this story. All right. Because hospitals around the country are reporting that they are seeing more and more injuries at the hands of electric scooters. Now, here's the deal. these If you if you haven't seen them, they're in about 100 U.S. cities. Well, they're all over the place. They're all over the place. But if yeah. you're in a city or you're somewhere where you haven't seen them yet, they are exactly what they sound like. They're little scooters, but they're motorized. So you get right. on them, and you can go as fast as about 25 miles per hour. You're as fast as a bat out of hell down the sidewalk. You go pretty fast. You go pretty fast, and a lot of people ride them on the sidewalk, which, of course, is very dangerous. There have been two deaths reported at the hands of these things from people who didn't slow down in time or went into traffic or things like that. Uh, There are also lots of injuries. Injuries have surged around the country. In fact, hospitals have reported that accident rates right now are as high as about 1,000 a month. (laughs) <laughs> around the country. So, again, remember, they're in 100 different markets. Dummies. 1,000 injuries per month. So, I don't think we're going to see you on one of these anytime soon, right, Bill? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, they look like fun, but I mean, if they were out on a track somewhere, in a park somewhere, fine. But I mean, what gets me is you walk down the sidewalk and these things come flying by you. I think that Only if, a matter of time. if you're in a city with a bike lane or something like that, they, they make a lot more sense. But right. on the sidewalk, it's it's just a bad idea. Okay, so the White House has their Christmas decorations up, and there's been a lot of attention paid to the fact that Melania Trump has decorated the Christmas trees. They are all red Christmas trees. at the one In one part of the White in House. In one part right. of the White House. Here's yeah. what she said about it. We are in 21st century and everybody has a different taste. I think they look fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> they are very weird looking. They're the ugliest trees I've ever they're seen. They're very ugly trees. Yeah. And, and they're and bright a, red. There's not a there's And by the way, she's in charge, yeah. right? Yeah. This is another stupid Melania stunt. <laughs> red trees. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, Why should I not pardon Paul Manafort is what the president asked yesterday. Hey, after all, he lied for me. I'll lie for him and cover up for him. The (laughs) Trump-Manafort partnership continues uh, undermining Robert Mueller every way that he can. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Thursday. It is Thursday, November 29. And here we are on the Bill Press Show, a special Thursday edition with lots and lots of news happening and lots of different stuff to talk about here at the, in Washington, at both uh, on Capitol Hill and down at the White House. The president is off in Argentina for the G20 meeting, where he's supposed to have a one-on-one with Vladimir Putin, who, of course, <laughs> That's going to be a little dicey now that Putin has declared war on Ukraine uh, and seizing Ukrainian gunships. He's also supposed to have a little tete-a-tete with uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, which is also a little dicey since our CIA says he is the man who ordered the murder 
of journalist uh, Jamal Khashoggi, uh, how the president handles all that, who the hell knows. Um, but, of course, uh, diplomacy is not exactly uh, his long suit, nor is courage in standing up to dictators like this around the world. It's the Bill Press Show again. We are joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. We are with you every way we can, including on television with Free Speech TV. If you are part of uh, the DirecTV uh, empire, join us every morning on television, Free Speech TV, uh, or anytime during the day. And, of course, on the radio statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks, and on the great, big, powerful voice of WCPT out in Chicago and the greater Chicago area. Welcome, 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 whether you're watching, listening, or um, whatever, uh, or jogging while you are, uh, while you got the, the, uh, uh, the Bill Press show uh, in, your, uh, in your ears on your uh, iPad. So, here we go. Where do we start? Let's start with the big Democratic caucus yesterday. Yeah, everybody said Nancy Pelosi was going to have a hard time. Yeah, right? Boy, uh, she showed just what a brilliant strategist she is. She's been working that caucus, um, well, for the last year, uh, certainly, first of all, trying to get control, Democratic control back of the House of Representatives, which succeeded in doing winning almost 40 seats. It was 39. We checked yesterday. There's still one in the balance. It'll probably go Democratic as well. Um, And uh, uh, Leader Pelosi was rewarded for her efforts yesterday in a very lopsided vote. The whole effort to dethrone her fizzled. Uh, The final vote was 203 to 32, which is particularly significant when you remember that two years ago, uh, when Pelosi was up again as minority leader, um, she, the Tim Ryan ran against her, uh, did a very credible campaign against her, got 63 votes. So the question was, is Nancy Pelosi's support really sinking every year that she that she is in the leadership? Hardly. She got. Only, they got only half as many no votes against her this time as they did two years ago, which shows, if anything, that she has just gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. Uh, now the next vote is January 3rd, when every member of the House of Representatives have to st- has to stand up and voice the name of the person that they want to be the Speaker of the House of Representatives. For that, if everybody votes and nobody votes present, she will need 218 votes, so she still has to pick up 15 votes. Um, she'll get them. If anybody is still unsure of whether or not Nancy Pelosi is the right person, I just want to play this clip from her yesterday. Let us just take a moment to dwell upon the fact that we are in the majority. Majority, majority, majority. And that's, that's really the issue. That's really what's important here. You know, yeah. like Democrats now have the power back in the House. Thanks to Nancy Pelosi. In large part, in large part to her. Right. And I've quoted before Brad Sherman, a uh, Democratic congressman from uh, San Fernando Valley in California, who said, hey, it's like baseball. You don't win the World Series. And the first thing you do is fire your manager. Right. Keep the manager on for at least another couple of years <laughs> or at least another year. Right. Uh, there was another important vote uh, yesterday uh, for the head of the Democratic caucus, 
uh, and that was a that was a that was a very close vote. It was a big challenge between two great members of two great members of Congress. Uh, the younger man, Hakeem Jeffries, from the Queens, uh, forty-eight years old, up against uh, Barbara Lee, both progressives, both both African Americans, uh, both again both very effective, very dynamic, very articulate members of Congress, great leaders. Uh, it would have been a tough choice. Um, look, I always go for the Californian, but Barbara Lee from uh, Oakland, um, who is 72 years old. She's been in this house for quite a while. Uh, she got 113 votes. So it's 123 to 113. Uh, but that, again, that's the first, uh, if you will, that's the first member of the next generation to get a leadership role uh, in the, uh, in the uh, uh, Democratic caucus. The other one, though, who will, um, because he's running unopposed for leader of a new communications committee that's been formed, communications conference, to help get the Democratic message out is our good friend from uh, Rhode Island, uh, Congressman David Cicilline, who's also about Hakeem Jeffries' age, I think, just about 50. So then that new generation of leadership we're starting to see build and emerge in the, uh, in the Democratic caucus. Uh, very, very, very uh, important. Um, you know, to, let me just get this out of the way. I said there's just lots and lots of bits of news today. I'm going to have a hard time squeezing it all in. But on the political front, I, I saw yesterday that uh, John Kerry has said that he is not ruling out a race for president in 2020. Please, John Kerry, rule it out, okay? You had your chance. Didn't run the greatest camp. Great, great man. Was a great Secretary of State, great United States Senator from Massachusetts. Um, we don't need a rerun of the uh, John Kerry campaign. Yeah, don't I, we know how that story ends? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Didn't he ran run against one of the uh, most beatable mm-hmm. sitting presidents ever with George W. Bush? Yes, two thousand four. I was there. I was there for Kerry from the very, very beginning. Um, but when all the uh, it just wasn't the. The best run campaign didn't respond to the to the swift boat stuff as fast as he could, and basically, I think, blew that race. And with all due respect and love, uh, we don't need another uh, rerun of the uh, John Kerry campaign. Uh, meanwhile, boy, uh, what is going on with the Mueller investigation? It is getting more and more. And I, again, I think the president looks like he's cornered. And every day he just lashes, he can feel them closing in on him, and every day he just lashes out in any way he can on Twitter and whatever against Mueller or anybody associated with Robert Mueller. And the latest is really, really shocking. We talked, touched on this yesterday, but we've learned even more since. We, we've learned a couple of things in the last couple of One is that now we know Donald Trump answered, so answered the questions in writing submitted to him by Robert Mueller. It looks like Mueller has not subpoenaed him. If he did, Trump would probably not respond, would would try to uh, fight. He would fight the subpoena to appear in person. He may or may not ever be interviewed in person by Robert Mueller and his team, but he did respond in writing to the questions submitted by the special prosecutor, special counsel. Um, And we know now from CNN reporting, uh, because it was a leak, (laughs) maybe probably from the White House, not from the Mueller operation, that there are two things that Donald Trump said, now, under oath but in writing. Uh, one is that Roger Stone never talked to him about WikiLeaks 
and the emails that were going to be released by WikiLeaks. Let's just hope he told the truth because Jerome Corsi says he was the conduit telling Roger Stone that WikiLeaks was going to release these emails. And in that report that came out, um, filing one filing that came out, uh, Mueller talks about all the phone calls between Roger Stone and Donald Trump at the same time. And Roger Stone has admitted that he often got phone calls from Donald Trump whenever he, he said, whenever he saw a phone incoming call from a blocked number, no matter what time of day it was, in the middle of the night, he would always answer it because chances are it was Donald Trump calling. He's already said that. So, but Donald Trump says in those conversations, they never talked about the WikiLeaks, even though Jerome Corsi says he was telling Roger Stone all about WikiLeaks. All I'm saying is, that's Donald Trump now saying flatly they never discussed it. Uh, that's like, to me, Michael Flynn saying he never talked about sanctions with that Russian ambassador. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. How did that turn out for him? You know, the problem with saying something like that is NSA's got the phone calls. Those phone calls, yeah. no matter when they were made or what block phone or not, NSA's got the phone calls. So i uh, got to be careful here. The other thing Donald Trump told... Uh, uh, in that in that writing, according again to CNN, is that he never knew anything about that Trump Tower meeting in June 2016 with Donnie Jr. and Michael Flynn and Paul Manafort and Jared Kushner and the Russian operatives who came in for the purpose of get, uh, dishing out dirt on Hillary. Uh, the president said he didn't know anything about the meeting beforehand and he was never told about the meeting afterward. Even though, again, let's go back to the blocked phone calls, there uh, Donald Trump Jr., and we know, has, has said, and we've seen evidence of, that he uh, talked to someone at the other end of a blocked phone number both before the meeting and after the meeting. And, of course, it just so happens that Donald Trump, from his private residence in the Trump Tower, does have a blocked phone number. And anyway, so we learned about that. Then, in the meantime, we also learned that Paul Manafort, former campaign manager of Donald Trump, who had made this plea bargain with uh, Robert Mueller for getting a reduced sentence to cooperate with him, and he was one of the first ones to do that, uh, that Mueller, Mueller's team uh, earlier this week accused Robert, uh, Paul Manafort of lying to them as part of the, their briefings, as part of the plea deal, when he agreed to talk to them, cooperate with them, that in those meetings he was lying to them. They caught him lying to them, which they, so they, they said the deal is off, as if that's not bad enough. Then it came out the next day that Paul Manafort's attorneys were actually, they would leave the meetings with Robert Mueller's team and Manafort's attorneys, Manafort would go back to jail, Manafort's attorneys would go to the White House and brief the White House on what the special counsel was asking Paul Manafort, who was supposed to be cooperating with the prosecutors in an investigation into alleged criminal activity or possible criminal activity by the President of the United States. So they were, they were spilling the beans on everything the prosecutor was, was, was asking them. I mean, as uh, Jeff Tubin 
the legal analyst for, um, well, I'm sorry, I want to play that clip, but let me get to the next part of the story is. And then on top of that, Donald Trump yesterday in an interview with the New York Post was asked whether would you still consider pardoning Paul Manafort? A presidential pardon, again, for the guy who is cooperating with a special counsel in an investigation of Donald Trump, and then Donald Trump turns around and pardons that guy? No, he wouldn't even consider that, would he? No, absolutely. Donald Trump said absolutely. He would not take it off the table. He said, in fact, why wouldn't I pardon him? There's where Jeff Tubin from CNN comes in and says, I mean, this is such so far over the line, it's hard to get your you know, mind attuned to it. This is egregiously inappropriate behavior on the part of the president. It is all but an encouragement to tell to, to Paul Manafort to stop cooperating, to don't get involved with Mueller, to take your punishment. I will take care of you later. It's egregiously wrong. But is it something that will lead to impeachment? I don't think so. No. Well, maybe not. But, I mean, clearly, we keep coming back to this. Obstruction of justice. Donald Trump has done everything he can in any way he can to, uh, to interfere with the, with the Mueller investigation. And, again, as, as Jeff points out so eloquently there, I mean, here's your lead witness, if you will, against Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is sending him a message. Hey, baby, don't worry about it. You lie all you want. Do whatever you want. Da-da-da. Cover up for me as much as you want. You don't have to cooperate. You don't have to worry about going to prison because I'm going to take care of you. You know, it, it if feels, that's not the message, what is? Right. Well, it feels like the goalposts continue to move on whether or not Donald Trump is committing obstruction of justice, right? Because it's clear. It, it, I mean, I say that like in the eyes of the Republicans, right? Because yeah. we yeah. look at this and we can say that is obstruction of justice to dangle that pardon out over somebody who is in the position that Paul Manafort is in. Looks a hell of a lot like obstruction of justice to me. Yeah, not a lawyer, right? But that that looks a lot like it. Uh, if this was President Hillary Clinton, I think that the Republicans would absolutely be looking at this as obstruction of justice. Think they might have a hearing. Think they might have a hearing or twelve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, that's not all of it. it then, to, to make matters worse, if you will. I remember uh, our guest, Anisha Singh, yesterday from the Center for American Progress used a great phrase, I thought, to sum up the Trump presidency, which is another day, another low. So yesterday he didn't tweet this himself, but he retweeted uh, an image of um, leading uh, public officials, let's say, critics of Donald Trump behind bars. And the legend on top of it was... um, when, here it is, now that Russian collusion is a proven lie, when do the trials for treason begin? That's a headline over the image of these people behind bars. The people behind bars include uh, Barack Obama, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Eric Holder, Kamala Harris, by the way, James Comey, Rod Rosenstein, who is the Acting Deputy Attorney General. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. Uh, And Robert Mueller himself, of course. Uh, There are a couple of others there. I forget now. But anyhow, what Donald Trump is saying, they should be behind bars and they should be on trial for treason. What? I mean, 
for a president to accuse the former president, two former presidents, of treason? And nobody sees anything wrong with that? And these Republicans don't see anything wrong with that? I mean, it is so, again, egregiously inappropriate, if I can borrow the phrase from uh, my good friend Jeff Tubin, uh, that it just boggles, it boggles your mind. Uh, and, of course, they've not been charged with any crimes. Yeah. Paul Manafort has. So has Michael Flynn. Uh, and so have uh, 33 others by Robert Mueller so far. And, and of course, it's not over, it's not over yet. Uh, another day, uh, another low, uh, indeed. Oh, where do we go from there? How about um, more people defending Donald Trump's use of tear gas? So we learned that, uh, by the way, the New York Times reporting this morning a whole list of constitutional scholars who point out, or I mean international law scholars who point out uh, that, in fact, uh, our firing tear gas across the border uh, at anybody, but at women and children across the border, uh, is a violation of international law. Here it is in um, United of the Interna- United Nations Charter, Article Two. Members of the United Nations shall refrain in their international relations from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity of other members. Unless, of course, that other country is conducting an armed invasion of your country, you do not, you do not fire anything into the territory uh, of another country. Um, but... Uh, we, saw, we heard Lindsey Graham yesterday say that uh, the president had no choice, right? He had to use the tear gas. We've heard Donald Trump defend the use of tear gas. And now, if you live anywhere where there's a uh, television station owned by Sinclair, you're going to hear the same message from uh, your local television station uh, hiding under the name of the local station when, in fact, it's owned by Sinclair, and part of the deal with Sinclair Broadcasting, as we know, is that Sinclair every once in a while puts out a little um, piece of video or maybe a commentary, political commentary, that the local stations have to run. Um, they've now been provided a two-minute commentary by former Trumper Boris Epstein. He ended up in the White House, didn't he, for a short while, Peter? I think, or he was. In I, the I know campaign. he was a big part of the transition team, and he was yeah. part of the campaign. I'm not sure if he ever made it to the White House, but he's their uh, so-called chief political analyst. Uh, and uh, so Sinclair sent out this clip, telling the local local stations they have to run it, uh, in which Boris Epstein says, among other things, "quote." The fact of the matter is that this is an attempted invasion of our country, which is exactly the language, of course, used by Donald Trump. You've got to wonder if that commentary was written by the White House, written in the White House, and sent to um, uh, sent to the Sinclair Broadcasting to send out to their stations. Uh, we, we're glad of one thing that the. Um, NFL is finally getting its act together. Oh yeah, boy, how does that add up? So, Peter, you can you can, you you're best to tell us the story, I guess. But so, Ruben Foster, 49ers. We won't mention 
what university he played for. Uh, we can mention it. He played uh, for the University of Alabama, right, which I'm very it. fond of. But And he was a great football player for them. And then went on to get into some serious trouble. He had uh, multiple. At least uh, twice, maybe three times. Yeah. But, of, of domestic, domestic violence. Right. Yeah, domestic violence. And the, uh, the 49ers, like, did the right thing, right? They uh, cut him loose. Cut him loose and said, nope, we cannot tolerate that. You're off the squad. Yeah. How long did it take before another football team picked him up? Not long. Not yeah. long. And, and, and sad to say, it's the Washington football team. Yeah, he's coming here to Washington. Uh, you know, this is this is pretty remarkable uh, that, you know, how long has it been since we talked about the Ray Rice story, Bill? Uh, they haven't learned. They haven't learned. No, nobody's learned anything. No. Nobody's learned anything. And... You know, look, I don't want to put this on, on the Washington football team, even though it's a bad move on their part, I think. It's but the NFL. This is an NFL problem. Absolutely. This is an NFL problem. But look, uh, I'll just say this about the Washington football team. There was another football player who got in trouble uh, for abusing his children, Adrian Peterson. Uh, he was let go from his team. He spent a year out in the wilderness. He has been rehired this season, has actually had a very good season with the Washington football team. Uh, the Washington football team lost their quarterback. They got a new quarterback this season, a guy by the name of Alex Smith. He got injured very badly, uh, and so now they have their backup quarterback playing. So they need a quarterback, mm -hmm. which is the position that Colin Kaepernick plays. And instead mm. of getting Colin Kaepernick, they went and they found a washed-up, very old retired quarterback by the name of Mark Sanchez, who was very bad even when he was in the NFL. So they went and they got him. And now this with Reuben Foster, uh, it's just not a very good look at all. No. And I, I understand what they're I, – what, I believe what they're saying is, okay, so he's he, he hasn't been um, – he hasn't been convicted yet, right? I mean, he's up for trial. Yes. So they're saying if he's found guilty, then they won't take him. But they did sign him up. It's, I mean, he's on the team. He's on the team. Yeah. Right, right. With that accusation, they signed him up on the team. Why wouldn't they wait until after they know the facts? Uh, because they're not going to get any blowback on this from the NFL. I, the NFL doesn't say, care. If you look at the other owners of the NFL, I'll bet you they're, they're all, they'll all line up behind Dan Snyder. I, I mean, look, you know— I, this is not by no means at all. This is a defense of this, but every NFL team has a situation like this, and that's the problem with the NFL. Every NFL team has a player, at least one, that has a problem with their record, um, and domestic violence is is a very common one in the NFL. Yeah. There's just no other way to put it. Uh, so will other NFL owners excuse mm -hmm. Reuben Foster and excuse Dan Snyder and the Washington football team? Yeah, absolutely. Sure they because will. Because they've and, got the same problem. And so will Roger Goodell, which is why they pay him $200 million a year. That's right. He'll keep the heat off of them, and nobody's actually going to have to deal with this. They'll just yeah. have to you know, figure out a way from a PR standpoint to dodge this, and they will. Yeah. They will. Uh, by the way, um, uh, one little footnote back on the Robert Mueller thing. Uh, with all this, pardon all this happening with Donald Trump threatening, uh, promising the pardon, or at least not taking it off the table. Donald Trump's continued daily attacks against Robert Mueller on Twitter. Um, three senators: Cory Booker uh, from New York, Chris Coons from Delaware, and Jeff Flake from Arizona. The outgoing senator, Jeff Flake, 
uh, have tried to bring a bill to the floor of the Senate uh, to protect Robert Mueller from being fired by the president. Um, they demanded a vote on the floor yesterday. We're, just, we're almost successful bringing it to the floor. But there are those uh, arcane Senate rules where one senator can block a bill from being voted on. And Senator Mike Lee from Utah yesterday did exactly what Donald Trump wanted and blocked this, blocked any Senate vote on that bill. Probably would have carried. Uh, Jeff Flake and Cory Booker both speaking out about that. Here's Senator Flake. That is to protect the integrity of the special counsel's investigation and to prevent the executive branch from inappropriately interfering in an independent investigation in the future. Quite straightforward bill. You've got a special counsel, an independent counsel. The Department of Justice are supposed to be able to do their thing without interference from, from the executive. Uh, again, not even any vote. Cory Booker. This bill, again, is about ideals we all are aligned with, independence, integrity, and the ability of a special counsel uh, and future special counsels to do their job effectively without interference from a president. But in this case, uh, Donald Trump had Mike Lee to run interference for him in the Senate. Uh, looks like that means there will be no vote, no legislation uh, to provide Robert Mueller that extra level of protection between now and the end of the year. Great lineup of guests today. We're going to start out with Yvette Simpson, uh, who's head of the great organization Democrats for America, making a big difference in the 20, uh, 2018 uh, midterms. Former Congressman Chris Shays, you may remember him, a former Republican member of Congress from Connecticut, uh, will be joining us also uh, top of the next hour. And then we'll be joined from Daniela Gibbs-Leger, who's the Senior Vice President for Communications from the Center for American Progress. And, of course, all of you, our guests, send us your comments on the news of the day on Twitter at BP Show. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. Hey, you got it. Here we go on a Thursday, November 29. Uh, it is the Bill Press Show. We are joining you everywhere in this great land of ours on the radio, on television, and online. Of course, thanks so much for joining us as we boom out to you from uh, Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio here in the heart of the action on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, the good men and women of the AFGE, under the leadership of J. David President, J. David Cox. Uh, they're the ones who keep our agents, federal agencies running day in and day out, not only here in Washington, but all around the country. Uh, we salute them for their great work, uh, their dedicated work, and for their support of the program, of course. Uh, I'll direct you to their website to find out more at afge.org. So the resistance is strong. The resistance uh, certainly made a big difference on November 6th. And the resistance uh, continues um, on the part of uh, lots of great organizations, uh, none stronger or better than Democracy for America. Uh, that's the organization formed by uh, Governor Howard Dean, presidential candidate Howard Dean, former DNC chair Howard Dean, and a good friend of mine, uh, now led by or incoming head of uh, Democracy for America, Yvette Simpson. Yvette, good to see you. Thank you for having me, Bill. Congratulations for uh, 
moving up into that role. Yeah, yeah. quite exciting. Very so, exciting. You take over when? January 1st. Uh-huh. And so we're in transition now. So we'll spend the better part of December getting the team ready. Because as you know, elections start the day after the last election. So we got a lot of work to do to prepare for 2019 and 2020. Particularly, again, in those uh, red states, uh, hoping to turn them as blue as we can or pick up uh, kind of maybe blue spots. And, Indeed. And none more important than your home state of Ohio. Ohio, the great yeah, state which of Ohio. Is a mixed bag for Democrats at best. That's one. If the blue wave hit in several states, didn't quite make it into Ohio, did it? It did not. We had great years in twenty eight in two thousand and eight and two thousand and twelve. The last two uh, cycles have not been the best, but Ohio's bracing for a comeback. I think. Uh, so we'll, well see what counting, happens in twenty twenty. <laughs> we're counting on that. <laughs> yeah, the governor's race didn't do so well, but. Uh, then again, you've got Sherrod Brown. Yes, Sherrod has been. Who comes out stronger than ever, it looks like. Huh? Sherrod is just so consistent, and he's our guy in Ohio, and, you know, he um, he's just been great for the party. Uh, I think the challenge is the state is very, very diverse. We've got a lot of rural counties, uh, we've got 88 counties in Ohio, and so we are not seeing that same uh, victory when statewide statewide races, and so it's a real challenge. We did win an Ohio Supreme Court seat, though, which was really, really unique. First yeah. African-American female to win that. Uh, and the first African-American female Democrat to win statewide in the state. So it was a really big deal. Well, I want to come back. You have 88 counties in 88 Ohio? 88 It's counties. not that big a state. There's a lot of counties. I mean, I'm from California. we got 58 <laughs> in the whole state counties. of California. And all very diverse in their own way. Yeah. Right? So uh, you have Hamilton County, which is, of course, the county that makes presidents uh, for the most part. And then you've got counties like Chillica- like uh, Lorain County, or you've got like very, very diverse counties upstate, like where Portsmouth is. And so we've got a lot of farmers. We've got a lot of industry. And then we've got the big cities like Franklin County, where Columbus is, and Cuyahoga, uh, where Cleveland is. And so I think... The victory for Ohio looks like making sure we're not only winning in those very, very dense and urban cities in those counties, but also winning in those more diverse, like rural counties where there are a lot of people, but their viewpoints might be a little different. Ohio got a body blow this week with an announcement by GM, yet another yes. auto plant closing in Ohio. Yes. Uh, the president insists that uh, about this, and he talked to Mary Barra, and uh, he thinks they're going to get some of those jobs back. We will wait and see. I know that Sherrod has been promised, really, really vocal about it. He promised that in uh, uh, 20, last year, 2017. Uh, remember he said, don't, don't sell your homes, don't move. <laughs> Those jobs are all coming back. You know, the auto industry has been so important to Ohio and Michigan. This is a major blow um, for our state. And so I watched Sherrod. Sherrod is all over this. Uh, and we are going to work as hard as we can. I mean, it's a big deal for our state. And so... Um, I don't know that the president's going to be able to deliver on this one. We will wait and see. Um, But I do think uh, there's a lot of conversation about the failure there, right? Big promises about tax cuts that were going to cause an increase in jobs like that. And this is a major, a lot of jobs going to change our state um, in not so good ways in the future, fortunately. Um, So how long before uh, Sherrod Brown announces that he's running for president? (laughs) No comment on that. No comment (laughs) on that. You know, it's always been a bittersweet conversation around where Sherrod's going to go because we really need him in the state. And, um, you know, he has such a um, great command in that Senate, and he's just such a powerful voice for Ohio that we've always, like, whenever his name comes up, cycle after cycle, we have this, like, we don't want to let him go. <laughs> um, so we'll but, see. But I know that been, he's considering it. He's been open, uh, not 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 trying to play games, saying yeah. that now he uh, is 
seriously taking yeah. a look at it and will be over the holidays. What I just want to jump in here really yeah. quick because you, you were just talking about General Motors. Donald mm-hmm. Trump tweeted about General Motors this morning. Uh, uh, he that. says uh, he's also tweeted about the witch hunt and all that stuff. But just on the General Motors front, he says General Motors is very counter to what other auto and other companies are doing. Big Steel is opening and renovating plants all over the country. Auto companies are pouring into the U.S., including BMW, which just announced a major new plant. The USA is booming. That is according to Donald Trump. He had another tweet about tariffs just a couple Uh, moments ago as well. I'd like to see the list of all the uh, new steel plants that are opening all over the country. You could put that probably list alongside of all the new coal mines that are opening up in the (laughs) country. Only we live in the world that Donald Trump lives in, but it's not reality. (laughs) It's not reality, no. (laughs) No. Uh, You know, we'll see it. We'll see. We'll see. I'm afraid we do live in the (laughs) world that Donald Trump lives in. So um, uh, aside from... Uh, what we were talking about with uh, some success, but not a lot in Ohio. Um, you must have been happy with November, no, November 6th, the results, huh? Very excited. DFA uh, made some really strong, I think, endorsements and supported some amazing candidates and delivered big wins. And so we're really excited. Um, there's been a lot of talk about um, the amazing women that we supported this year from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, Tayana Presley, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Deb Holland, Johanna Hayes, Lucy McBath, um, two amazing wins in California with Katie Porter and Mike Levin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, DFA doubled down this year on what we know, which is if you have strong candidates who are putting forward bold, inclusive, populist agenda, uh, and they are organizing on the ground and getting people to vote, we win. And we did that in blue areas and we did that in red areas. And so we're really excited about the future because doing more of that and identifying these amazingly talented people who might not necessarily be on people's radar who are going to change Washington is just a, a part of our agenda going forward. How'd you find them? Way. Um, you know, our members are a really, really big part of how we find out about candidates. Uh, and we have also great partners. Um, but, you know, the individuals that you know, we're talking about Ayanna Presley has been, I think, understated and underestimated for a very, very long time. And there were a lot of people who thought we shouldn't get into that race. And we said, no, she's the person that should represent that district, supported her. And of course, not disappointed. Rashida Tlaib is amazing um, mm-hmm. advocate and organizer. And so uh, you'll, you'll notice the thread from the four women that I um, yeah, noted right. first. They're all organizers. And so this idea that we can get these amazing organizers and what happens when you make organizers elected and the inside outside approach to moving government. Um, And so we are going to be identifying those people again, people who have been working in the movement for a very, very long time. And what happens when the movement becomes electoral. And so we're really excited. I remember having this conversation with uh, former chairman uh, Jim Dean, who's yes. outgoing as chair, correct? Yes, uh, but he uh, will stay on as strategic advisor for the Brother of Howard Dean, the yes. founder, um, about when you – your process for uh, uh, endorsing candidates. Tell yes. us about it. It, it is I mean, it's a, not from the top down. It is not. It is very bottom up. So we have over a million members across the country. Wow. And our members have a lot of influence on what we do. And we get recommendations from members in races up and down the ticket and across the country. 
We also have a lot of strong partnerships in the movement, and so we get those recommendations as well. And we look at candidates differently, I think, than most people. Partnerships with other organizations? Yeah, the big movement organizations, and even some of the, you know, on-the-ground organizing Mm -hmm. um, entities will say, hey, have you looked at this person? Have you looked at this person? And we look for something a little different. We don't look at, you know, who's backing them with big names, and we certainly don't look at big money. You know, we look at what kind of energy are they drawing? How close are they to the ground? Are they talking to people? Are people excited about them? And then we try to see if they have the infrastructure and the the ability to really connect with voters. We believe that that's a winning strategy. Or do they have that? And if they have that, uh, we look at them even closer. And then what are they talking about? Are they unapologetically talking about the issues that matter to everyday Americans, like healthcare and education and immigration, which is coming closer to home every single day for people? Um, and we say, that sounds like a winning combination. We think we want to support them. And DFA gets into races really, really early, and we stay. We stick really, really close to our candidates all the way through and then assist them through the transition. So it's sort of uh, your members decide which races you get involved. They help us decide. Yeah, We're right. not like some more digital-oriented organizations where we have to have a minimum threshold of votes in order to endorse someone. But our members play a huge role uh, and can once someone applies for endorsement, can vote for those individuals. Do you know how many member, how many candidates you endorsed this year? That's a good question. I think it was over two hundred up and down the ticket Whoa. across the country. Now, of course, federal, we had about forty yeah. that we really endorsed and focused. So you're on. also active at the state legislative level oh, yes. and the governor's race level, mm-hmm. and uh, also the local level. So you, hmm. we we weighed in on the Wesley Bell race for prosecutor in St. Louis, which is a really big race. We had quite a few. Um, unique races in in line with our criminal justice reform effort. Diana Beckton, for instance, who also ran um, for for um, prosecutor in for AG in California, uh, and so we really, really um, are doubling down on our local and state efforts. Again, it's Democracy for America DFA, and the website is uh, www.democracyforamerica.com. Democracyforamerica.com. Uh, um, Come. Um, okay. And people can sure. join us, um, become members, donate. Uh, as you know, you know, we were one of the early organizations that um, started that, you know, everybody can donate a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, a couple dollars uh, here and there to support their favorite candidates. And we co-raise with candidates. And of course, it supports our efforts, too, and the work that we do. So we want people to join us. Uh, we really are excited about the the local races that are coming up in 2019. Uh, of course, the federal races, which, of course, start the day after the election. Oh, yeah, they've already started. Right? Uh, and then, of course, the presidential race, which is um, heating up here soon. Uh, out of the 200 or some candidates, um, do you has anybody done a, a scorecard yet of uh, how many won? We won over 90 races, um, which was amazing, and there's still some yeah. that are outstanding. We have a few races that are outstanding. Right. Yeah. Now, are you looking at, I mean, th- 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 there's a lot of talk about, which I think is somewhat exaggerated, uh, inside the Democratic Party, of which I'm a proud member, uh, of this conflict between progressive candidates and establishment candidates. Uh, so is DFA looking for the most progressive candidate in every race or... Typically, progressive is a part of the foundation. But as you know, like progressive has become a word that people are throwing around. And I don't know. We want to make sure that people are true to that. So when we think about progressive values, we think about racial justice. We think about economic justice. We think about social justice. Uh, We think about candidates who are not apologizing about supporting bold progressive policies um, on health care and education. And so, um, yeah, 
DFA is certainly the progressive end of the party. Uh, and the interesting thing about what's going to happen this year with our amazing new electeds who have already started uh, the conversation about what this new House needs to do is that we're really going to be pulling the Democratic Party, I think, closer to um, what we believe most Americans believe about these issues. It's so funny. Medicare for all is one of our, you know, one of our most significant pieces of you know policy that we've been advocating for yep. for years. Seventy percent of Americans now believe and support Medicare for all. I was joking with someone in the movement. I said our policies are not so progressive anymore. They become more mainstream. Uh, and I think it's important to make sure that we can deliver on that uh, this year. In the, it, in the next well, year. Well, yeah, I've I mentioned it is uh, striking to me that where Bernie Sanders with Medicare for All in 2016 mm-hmm. was considered this real radical, right? Right. And Hillary Clinton saying, you're promising something you can never deliver, and uh, this is pie in the sky, boom, boom, boom. Two years later, Everybody's talking. Everybody. When I Medicare hear Barack Obama support Medicare for All, I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> here we are. Yeah, very good. So, you know, I think um, I think we're at a place where this new crop of freshmen are really, really going to push the party to a place where I think we need it to be, frankly. I mean, I, I don't know when we got to a place where the Democrats feel like we have to compromise or run to the right, right? The Republicans are doing a good enough job on their own, right, putting forward very, very conservative policies that really don't affect most Americans. It's the job of the Democrats to do that. And now that you've got control of the House and a pretty good, you know, significant um, cushion there, we want to see bold, progressive, inclusive policies coming out of this House. I think it's the only way that we make sure that people are engaged and excited when it comes to 2020, which not only impacts, as you know, um, the individuals who are currently in those roles, the people that we're trying to recruit, and of course the presidential. If people don't see a difference between Democrats and Republicans, they're not going to show up. So what do you do in a district like um, uh, Connor Lamb? Mm-hmm. Well, we've had races like that, right? Um, we... I also, just just interrupting, mm-hmm. but I, I met one of the new members of Congress. She's a former, I'm blanking on her. She's Alyssa, I think. She's a, I know you know who I mean. She's a former CIA agent from uh, the Midwest, and and she's clearly she doesn't call she calls I don't know what she calls herself right? <laughs> a moderate I um, guess she would say right yeah okay <laughs> yeah but um, you know in talking to her I mean Alyssa uh, Slatkin uh, right yep. Mm-hmm. yeah yep. good person I think she's a good member she right. and and uh, she's saying you know in my district <laughs> you know if I were too far out there I couldn't win. That's no. not true. Like we we believe that. Well, it depends on your tactic, right? So DFA's tactic is to expand the electorate. That if we engage people who don't traditionally vote, mm-hmm. and we give them a reason to vote, that we win every time, even in those districts, right? Because what they're counting is likely voters. Right. And what DFA says is likely voters are all voters, right? As long as we engage them. So we were able to win, for instance, in. Uh, Lauren Underwood's race, which is the average income is over $100,000 a year, Naperville. Very wealthy, very conservative district. We were able to win Lucy McBath's race in Georgia. Over $100,000, the average income, very conservative district in Georgia. And so I don't believe that. Uh, Look at California. You know, people were talking about the shift that happened in California. Um, Traditionally, GOP-held districts, now progressives, are running those districts, are, are representing and serving in those districts. So I think that that's old. I think we need to throw mm-hmm. out the old rule book. 
I think we need to look at the electorate and say who lives in this district and who is eligible to vote. How do we get them registered? How do we eliminate the barriers and voter suppression efforts that tend to happen in those districts? How do we excite those individuals so that they want to show up and give them something to believe in? And I think we win every time. Right. So you're saying that with the right um, foundation and 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 groundwork, right, right? That progressives can win in every district, right? And so, what we used to at say at every you know, level, at every level, because again, when we talk about what people see as likely voters, people think that the strategy is to move people from red to blue. We think that the real strategy is to move people from non-voting to voting, and if we do that, we win. And so I think that's challenging because the work that it takes, the amount of organizing, the amount of, you know, connection to your community that it takes to engage millennials, to engage brown and black people, um, immigrant populations who don't traditionally vote, it's real work. But that's what democracy is about, right? And so, you know, I, I love the, you know, we're Democracy for America. And we would, you know, part of our name is everybody votes, every vote counts. If we continue to do that, expanding the electorate work, there's no district I don't think that we can go after, especially if we that we can't go after, especially if we eliminate some of the voter suppression stuff that we're seeing, you know, all across the country. Right. Well, th- but that means um, a 24 seven never day off kind of work. Right. I mean, you cannot wait until election season to do this kind of work. Absolutely. And that's why, again, identifying individuals who already have those connections, who are already committed to that work. Yeah, I'm a former elected myself. I served uh, in Cincinnati as an elected for six years, president of Cincinnati City Council. And the idea that the election starts on a certain day is a fallacy. Every day is a day for you to engage with your constituency, making sure you're serving them. And if you're accountable to them, then you win, right? If you're accountable to them, they're with you. And so it's it's a it's a different phenomenon. And I think it's an important one for the Democratic Party because these are our voters and we've just left them on the table time mm-hmm. and time again. And right. and so, yeah, our strategy, of course, is to expand the electorate and make sure that everybody votes, which is great. I mean, that's a yeah. great, great, great approach. I love that. Mm-hmm. So um, we've we've, you know, all of us um, not a total victory on November 6th, but we can still be very proud uh uh, and happy for the the, the the wins that we got. Yeah. Where do we go from here? Well, I mean, I think we look at the map, right? And so our work will be, um, as we prepare for our transition at DFA, is getting our team together in December and talking about what the next two years looks like. I think the map looks different than maybe it might have looked two years ago when we think about not only the races that we won, but the races where we weren't supposed to be close. And they were like... The margins were razor thin and are those places where we can play again with the same candidate if they're willing or where we play with a different candidate. Uh, And I think that's really, really significant. We're going to be looking at different and non-traditional candidates. Um, And that looks like organizers. That looks like in some places activists. That looks like people who have been working in the trenches. Johanna Hayes Mm -hmm. was a teacher, national teacher of the year. And she's now in Congress, right? Uh, we've got nurses. Lauren Underwood's a nurse <laughs> now in Congress, right? Um, Alexandria Ocasio was a, a substitute teacher and a bartender. So we're going to be looking for unlikely people who might not have thought about it. I think Johanna Hayes is going to be one of the but our biggest advocates on education policy reform. Lucy McBath, her son Jordan was murdered. She's mm-hmm. going to be totally relentless 
and amazing on gun reform because she's experienced that. And so our work will be, let's look at the map. Let's see where we want to play. Are there candidates and amazing energy around people in those areas? Are there, is there an electorate that's been suppressed? Are there people who we can definitely get out to vote? And we work with organizing partners on the ground to do that work. Uh, and again, it's Democracy for America, mm-hmm. and you can't just uh, hear about it. You get, you can uh, at least, Absolutely. maybe you could, but we encourage you to do more than that, uh, to sign up and get involved yourself and make a contribution wherever you can at democracyforamerica.org. Uh, we just have about 30 seconds. Dot com. So, dot com, dot com, democracyforamerica.com. And thank you for that. Uh, so who's the horse you're riding in 2020? Have you picked anybody yet? We have not. So we are in the process, and we're really excited about this presidential race. We're in the process of um, getting all of the potential candidates before our members. And mm-hmm. we're going to be talking to them several times over the course of this next year or so. Um, because it's a very big pool. It's very yeah. different. Yeah, there I, isn't like an anointed no. and appointed candidate we this time. We don't want an anointed. We do candidate. not. That's right. Uh, okay. And so it's going to give us an opportunity to engage. My with them. unsolicited advice for free is take your time. Yes. We, okay. That is take true. your time. There are we a lot will. Of people out there. <laughs> take your time. Sign up. Democracyforamerica.com. Thanks, Yvette. Thank Congressman you, Chris Shays coming up next here on the Bill Press Show. show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Here we are on a Thursday, November 29. What do you say, folks? And yes, indeed, it was a tight, tight race. But Nancy Pelosi managed to squeeze out a tiny victory yesterday. Yeah, like overwhelming 203 to 32, I think was the final vote. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show, and we're coming to you live coast to coast, of course, from our studio on Capitol Hill. As always, with the news of the day, wherever it's happening, we're on top of it for you, bringing you up to date on the latest here in the United States Congress, uh, down at the White House, around the country, and around the globe with all of you and look forward to hearing from you what you think about the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, a great lineup of guests today, and we are so pleased to uh, welcome back for this next half hour uh, a good friend we met back in the Crossfire days when he was a member of Congress, a Republican member of Congress from the state of Connecticut, uh, the Honorable Chris Shays. Uh, now I can call you Chris, not Congressman. Yeah, Bill, it's great to be with you. I mean, it's good to we, see you again. Crossfire was lots of fun, and I always enjoyed being on the program with you. Just to mention something about Nancy's uh, election, she needs 218 votes. Right. And it, Newt ended up uh, losing his speakership, even though he had four-fifths of the members of, of the, the Republican ca- caucus. But... Uh, he didn't have enough to get that full vote on the floor. It's the election for the speaker is so different than the majority leader. All the majority mm-hmm. leaders is is fifty percent plus one of their caucus. But but the but the leader for the speakership uh, needs almost all their votes. Right, two hundred and eighteen. Uh, if everybody votes, uh, so we got lots and lots to talk about news of the day and the politics of the day uh, with uh, 
former Congressman Chris Shays. We'll jump right into it. Don't forget your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this they just got the big the headlines. Court the press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. We go down to Raleigh, North Carolina, where Zernicia Carmichael walked into a gas station to buy a lottery game ticket. She wanted to buy a Carolina Panthers-themed lottery ticket because they are in North Carolina, uh-huh. but the clerk gave her the wrong ticket. She gave her a ticket for the 777 lottery scratch-off, which normally she said she would have pushed it back and gotten what she asked for, but she said, screw it, I'll keep it. Well, it was the best mistake no. she ever made. She ended up winning $277,000 off of the mistake they gave her the wrong one and she decided to keep it and because she kept it she ended up winning at the end of the day she's going to take home just about two hundred thousand dollars she said she really really needed a new car so that is uh, a problem that she will no longer have i hope she remembers the clerk at the uh 7-eleven or whatever yeah right thanks for screwing that up Yeah, yeah absolutely So we come right back here to Washington, D.C. You know, we have a lot of embassies and consulates here in Washington, D.C. There's Embassy Row, of course. Well, there is a neighborhood advisory panel in Washington, D.C. that decides what these streets are named. And in Foggy Bottom, just outside of the Saudi embassy, they have proposed renaming the street in front of the Saudi embassy. Can you guess what they want to rename it? I hope they're not going to name it Mohammed bin Salman. They want to rename it Jamal Khashoggi Way, right in front of the Saudi embassy. Now, this is not a done deal yet. How do we sign on to that? I'm so in favor of this. Uh, This is not a done deal yet. They have to vote on this measure. It has to be approved by the D.C. Council. Uh, as is the case with all local legislation. Uh, but they are pushing to make this happen. And, boy, I, I really hope they do. That would be that would be <laughs> such a, you know, well-deserved yeah. rebuke, right? Totally. Yeah. Let's, totally. Hope it, let's hope it happens. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. Pardon, Paul Manafort. Hey, why the hell not, said Donald Trump yesterday. After all, he was good to me. I'm going to be good to him. At least he said he was not going to take the possibility of pardon off the table. Well, you may call it obstruction of justice. It's just another day for Donald Trump. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is the Bill Press Show. Here we are on this Thursday. Good to be together again on this Thursday, November 29, as we join you everywhere in this great land of ours. We're there with you uh, on the radio, on television, and online. Online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Uh, and don't forget to check out the podcast. Podcast numbers keep growing every day. I'm very grateful for your joining us on the podcast. And when you go to the podcast, don't forget at BillPressShow.com, don't forget to sign up. That way you will get our uh, uh, inputs throughout the day and also on the weekend, very special stuff that uh, in addition to everything you hear on the program. On the radio, we're with you on the great WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago and all the surrounding area around Chicago. And on television, Coast to Coast on Free Speech TV as well. 
uh, in studio with us. From now, state of Maryland, former Republican congressman from the state of Connecticut, uh, our good friend Chris Shades, I mentioned a little earlier, we got together first time when um, uh, I was co-host of Crossfire there with Bob Novak and Pat Buchanan and Great the whole fun. gang. Great fun. Uh, and uh, Chris was a frequent guest on the show. Uh, they were back in the the Clinton years and the I want to say the, the Monica good old days. Lewinsky days. <laughs> they were not the good old days, but uh, <laughs> it was a different time. Well, you know, I, when I say the good old days, at least Republicans and Democrats talked with each other. You know, we would play basketball at four in the afternoon. We were like kids. And, um, you know, it just uh, it's I see my colleagues walking around now and their shoulders are drooped. They they have no job satisfaction. You know, with Bill Clinton, we balanced the budget. We had welfare reform Four years of no deficit spending. And, and it's such a different place now. You know, if a Democrat and Republican get in the car together, they think they're being bipartisan. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, so when I say the good old days, that's what yeah. I mean. I mean, we had some real big problems, obviously, but but at least we were talking with each other. Are you still a Republican? I am still a Republican. I uh, I voted for uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, even though I thought she was very flawed. But I thought she'd do a good job. She was a she was an excellent senator. When I was chairing the the um, National Security Committee, and we had hearings up in New York, I'll, I'll never forget it. We had hearings about the illnesses that the workers had. Mm. And we were the first committee to have hearings and basically the only one. And and so a lot of my Democratic colleagues appreciated that we had a hearing in New York. And uh, Senator, so many of those workers of the first responders yeah. at 9-11 suffered really serious. Very serious. Yeah. And it, so it was a very a serious and important hearing. Hillary, uh, Senator Clinton came in. She didn't act like a senator. She waited her turn. She pulled me aside to say, you know, just fill me in. What do you think is? And we we had a nice conversation. She was respectful of the House members. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and she, and as my wife says, women do their homework. You know, she she does her homework. Yeah. Uh, she would have been a good president. You know, but then you think of, you know, the stupidity of Bill Clinton going in his airplane to, you know, getting off his airplane and going and meeting the attorney general. I think that, I think that killed her right there. I think people finally said, I just can't. I can't have the Clinton, you know, operation in the White House. What do you think of the Republican Party today? Um, basically, it's non-existent. Uh, the party has, you know, had a, a slow and painful death. I mean, when I won in 06, 2006, I was the only Republican in all of New England. Then I lost in 08, no Republican. So we're a, a, definitely a regional party. Uh, but I'm sorry, were you only there for one term? I thought you were there longer. I was there for 21 years. Oh, 20, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. and I was elected in 87. I got it. But, but uh, yeah, I don't want to mis no, no. <laughs> misinform your audience I, I here. I misheard you. Yeah. But, but I, I won in 06 and was Nancy Johnson lost, uh, Rob Sims, both Republicans. Got it. So but I was. At that point, you were the only. Republican, one. all of New England. Yeah. And, and now they're none again. Right. Um, but it's. Uh, it's it's so the Republican Party, you know. Let me just back up a second and say Donald Trump is. I said this on TV. And my daughter called me up right away. I said, I said Donald Trump is everything my parents taught me not to be and everything we teach our daughter not to be. Immediately got a phone call. I said, Dad, Dad, I'm 36 year old years old. Can you say taught? <laughs> but but he is. He's everything. You know, I was taught not to be and everything we taught our daughter not to be. Uh, 
you know, it, it, when he was talking about how he could, you know, have a pardon here, I was thinking, well, God, that's one. Gosh, that's one of the few times he's been honest. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Sadly, yeah. But I mean, it's it's just it's just. I fear the man. I fear what he's doing. And you ask if I'm a Republican. I'm a Republican because I don't want to be a Democrat. But you, well, <laughs> we could talk about that some more. But but as you say, there's not not a Republican, one single Republican member in in all of New England, uh, in California. You know right. where I come from. There are only about um, eight or seven. There are now forty six out of fifty three congressional yeah. seats. Forty six Democrats. All seven districts in Orange County, California, which you and I both knew yes. as Ronald Reagan country, John so, Wayne so country, all seven are now blue. So 46 and only seven Republicans in the entire state of California. So nationwide, the Republican Party is hurting. Why? And I think you don't you'd have, have to, to say Donald Trump, <laughs> Donald Trump is a good reason for that. So why? Well, you know, what it, people it, don't it, understand it, it, is why aren't more Republicans speaking out against well, where let, Donald let, Trump has taken off, the party. about what's happened to the Republican okay. Party. Yeah. The Republican Party used to have a base when I was uh, running where the women got out the vote and the men raised the money. In the Democratic Party, the, de the labor groups get out the vote and they still exist. Um, but what happened is women went to work as they obviously mm -hmm. wanted and should. Uh, they the, then the party just began focused on let's find people who have lots of money to run, so uh, we we didn't have any any ground game at all. Uh, it, it's you know that's, but that's the political side of it, mm -hmm. and, uh, the operational side. On the political side, uh, what do we stand for? But uh, you know I can ask what do the Democrats stand for? I mean I really don't know what either party stands for. <laughs> What's happened is. When Republicans won in 94, uh, we went after the blue dog Democrats who were the centrist Democrats. Uh, when uh, the, the Democrats went after people like me, uh, the centrist Republicans, the moderate Republicans. So the American people are, you know, the bell curve, if you, you're a liberal to conservative, most, most Americans are somewhere in the center of the political spectrum. You know, you could argue they're just right of center, but whatever, they're in the center. In Congress, it's a carved-out bell curve. It's an it's a U. It's an upside bell curve. There's no one in the center. There's no one. Uh, we used to. I loved representing this district that was a competitive district because they expected me to be in the center, and that's where I wanted to be. Uh, but now the way districts are drawn, both by Democrats and Republicans, uh, you just have to appeal to your. Uh, your own party in 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 your primary. So now let's get to the the issue yeah. of Trump. And Trump's style is to conquer and divide. You're either with me or against me. Totally. You can't even be uh, mostly with me. You have to be all with me. Well, in my judgment, he's pushed the Democratic Party far to the left. He's pushed the Republicans far to the right. And and um, uh, and you know the amazing thing is if I told one or two of the lies that he tells. I would have been voted out of office. He's told thousands, and it's almost like it doesn't matter <laughs> because he's told right. so many. Totally, but yeah. but I think people at least now I can't speak about California, but I can speak about the Northeast. The Northeast, we we are pretty, um, I, I think, sensible folk. I mean, we're we're we look at facts and we you know we judge them, and and uh, I remember having the the town hall meeting on impeachment. 
And there were 6,000 people who tried to get in a room of 1,200. <coughs> but for we started at 7, ended at 2. I remember and, that town hall, well, right? The thing that, that you, all my colleagues around the country said to me the next day when I was back in Congress, people were so respectful of each other. And I said, welcome to a, you know, a New England town hall meeting. So um, uh, my, my view is that uh, there was no tolerance for uh, the emperor without any clothes. Well, why don't more Republicans, again, come okay, back to now, my now question. Now we'll get to that part. Uh, why is it that they, that they have to see what Donald Trump has done to their party? Okay. Um, I interviewed David Brooks the other day, conservative columnist right. for, the, for the New York Times. And David Brooks said there is no way, under no definition, could you say that Donald Trump is a conservative because he just— He's not a conservative. No. And, and so you have people, though, in the Congress who are true conservatives, and Donald Trump let's just don't even avoid the personal stuff, but just on the policy stuff. He's 180 degrees from where the Republican Party used to be on things okay, like— so we'll talk and, about that. But why don't—so why do Republicans just bend over and— never criticize him and go along with everything he he's, okay. he says or does. So now let's think about it. You're a Republican, and uh, you want to get renominated so you can run and appeal to the vast majority of people. So let's just say in Connecticut, the Republicans constitute 25% of the voters. Now let's just say one-third of them, let's just say for the sake of it, you know, 12%, uh, of of the half of the Republicans vote in a primary. Mm -hmm. And then let's just say uh, you've got a race where you got to get these 12% of the voters to vote for you and 6% vote against you. So my point is, in my entire district, 6% of the people can prevent me from being the Republican nominee. And what used to be, you, you used to appeal to your party, but you didn't have to go way over to the right or way over to the left in the Democratic Party. Uh, and then you'd, in the election, you could then speak to the vast bulk of your constituents. Well, that can't happen now. Think of Mark Sanford. Now, you know, Mark Sanford made a huge mistake when he was governor. Right, right. But he came back and said, I was given a second chance. And he used the second chance well. And he's such a decent, wonderful man. Well, he said one of two things that were not favorable to Donald Trump. And a week before the— By the way, they weren't that harsh. No, they I mean, weren't. I mean, no. no. He, he, dared, he dared criticize Donald Trump on a couple of oh, issues. Just on and, a couple. Yeah. Okay, so Donald Trump jumps in and causes his defeat in a primary. Now, what is the lesson to all the other Republicans? Don't tread on me. Don't tread on Donald Trump. So, I mean, it's not a good thing that I'm saying in order to win, you had to kind of play that. And I don't think you can play it. Um, I would have lost. I, if I had, because I would have been outspoken critic, I wouldn't have gotten the nomination. Now, I would love you to. You would have been primaried, as they say, right? And, right. No doubt about it. Probably. And I, and I would have the, lost the primary. Probably Donald Trump would have supported your primary opponent. Yeah. And, I maybe uh, could have won, but, you know. Primaries are hell. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, and the and the thing is, in a so, primary, you know, it, it, to be a Republican, you have to be pro-life, and you have to be against any gun legislation. I mean, sensible gun legislation, not banning guns, but just some yeah. sensible stuff. And and so, uh, well, it's, well, it's what it's, does that say about political courage? 
I mean, there isn't any anymore, right? I mean, isn't there? Aren't there some things maybe more important than getting reelected? You have to be willing to lose, and and I lost, and I give some of the credit to the fact that I was willing to lose. But you know, my I lost. In fact, I just want to point out, you, as I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, you broke with your party and you voted against the impeachment of Bill yeah, Clinton. There were four of us, and I was one of the four. That was an I, act of courage. Well, I thought the impeachment... A rare act of courage. <laughs> well, I, hopefully not rare on my part, but... but no, <laughs> I'm sorry. On the, <laughs> but but, 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 the, but, the, but the, I felt the impeachable offenses weren't proven, and I thought the proven offenses weren't impeachable. And I thought if you're going after a president who lies, every president can be impeached because someone can interpret what they've said as a lie. And And, you know, obviously it was lying to, you know, government officials and so on. Now, did I think Bill Clinton should have resigned? Absolutely. I happen to think he raped Roderick. That's what I think. I think that uh, the women who supported him uh, were incredibly hypocritical given they went after uh, a, the Republican senator from, was it Oregon? Uh, yeah, Bob Packwood. Bob Packwood for his mm. offense, which yeah. paled in comparison. Pale. right. Um, so, see, that's why when you say, am I a Republican, I'm a Republican, because I don't know where to go. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you this, I will eagerly support a third party, uh, a third person in a presidential race. And I love what Maine has done with ranked choice voting. It worked. Ranked choice voting allows you, if there are three candidates or four, to say who's your first choice, your second choice, your third choice, your fourth choice. And the congressman in Maine, the Republican, um, uh, he uh, got a he got a majority, not of all the votes, but he got more than the Democratic candidate. But then, mm -hmm. when they went to see who everyone's second choice was, the Democratic candidate had more votes. Right, and he won, and that that eliminates the whole concept of the spoiler. And if you can eliminate the fear that people think if they vote for the person they really want is the spoiler, they may end up voting for that person, and that person may get more votes right. than anyone else. I don't know. There, uh, I, I know also in the city of San Francisco for the uh, for mayor's race, they use ranked choice mm -hmm. voting now, uh, and I know Maine does. I forget other people. Well, are Maine just started. Just started. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and the irony is the Democratic it, it, congressman. It gives people more choices. Right is the most important. It gives thing. them. It gives them more choices, but it what it does is it enables them to uh, vote for the, the third-party candidate and not feel like they are being a spoiler to the other candidate they want to win because right. they can give that other candidate their second vote if their guy didn't get or woman didn't get so uh, in, 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 last. in this um, context, um, maybe then you could explain what happened to Lindsey Graham? Um, he represents South Carolina. Lindsey Graham. Doesn't I, he represent I, South Carolina? Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. I just answered your question. Is he up for re-election two years from now? Yes. Yeah. That's it. It's hard to believe, though. Well, How it, could you go from being the best friend of John McCain to being the be overnight to being the best well, friend of Donald Well, don't get carried Trump? away. John McCain, uh, in order to win in Arizona, uh, was very quiet about Trump, and he was very quiet about other things that he didn't want people to in his district to get unhappy with and prevent him from getting the nomination to be the senator. So he, he even he quieted down. Let me make this point to you, and 
I, I hope you can put it in some context. Um, a president has to run a country, a governor has to run a state, a mayor has to run a, a, a city, and they can only play so many games because ultimately they got to run it. A legislator has to doesn't have to run anything. They have to appeal to enough special interests to get elected and not offend too many special interests to prevent them from getting reelected. I will tell you that when I supported um, uh, vouchers in Washington, D.C., I lost the support of one of the biggest groups that had always supported me. My wife was a teacher. Hmm. Um, I remember after I supported that, I went into my office. They were meeting with me, the CEA, the uh, NEA, and others, and they um, they said, your support for uh, uh, vouchers um, means that we're going to actively work against you, and they did. And I foolishly said, I know that's the case. That's why it took me three years to do the right thing. <laughs> but every year, there were signs on every school, every year I was up for election, in the entrance to the school and the entrance when you, the exit when you left for my opponents for a three-term. If I had not done that, I would have continued to have their support. So my point is this, even a legislator has to be careful. How many special interests are you going to take on? How many? Right. Yeah, if you now, want to stay there. That doesn't give an excuse for people supporting Donald Trump, but it gives I, you a I, sense. I got it. I want to ask you about a couple of issues that are in the news today that we haven't had a chance to talk about. Um, uh, we, we mentioned, uh, as Peter said, that they're thinking of maybe n- renaming the street in front of the Saudi embassy here in Washington, D.C., uh, Kash- uh, Jamal Khashoggi Way. I love it. Now, but you've got a president. The, the CIA says they've concluded that the crown prince of Saudi Arabia gave the orders to, Absolutely. to, to, Absolutely. Assass- to have him assassinated. And the president of the United States says, the United States says, Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but you know... It's outrageous. And we have a lot of money that, on the stake here, and we cannot risk our relationship. It's outrageous. It's, it's beyond... Out, it, I can't even tell you how I am so ashamed of what he's doing. And let me put it in this context. So I'm a new member in 87. By the time George Bush Sr. gets elected, the Cold War ends. Lech Walesa addresses Congress. This is the mm. Polish leader. Uh, Vaclav Havel, all, all in a in a like a two week span, when Lekolenza uh, addressed us, he said, "When I climbed over the chain link fence, you know, he'd already been arrested once. I knew I would be arrested. I thought I might be tortured, and I thought I could even be killed." And he said, "What gave me the strength to do it was I knew there was a place in this world, this beacon, where I would be what what I had done would be known and respected." appreciated and championed. That's what he did. The United States of America. Yeah, and he specifically addressed Congress. Yeah. This this body here. I felt so proud. I felt so proud that someone would risk their life based on what we thought of him in the United States. What's the message that he's given, that Donald Trump's giving now? I am so ashamed of what he's done. This is, his children are Americans. This man should be celebrated loved, respected, uh, and then think of his children in Saudi Arabia that were pulled before, yeah, you know, fearing right. for their lives. Right. And I'll just make one other little point. I uh, was speaking to uh, a Kuwaiti friend who's very powerful in the government of Kuwait, and he said, Congressman, 
this kind of stuff happens often in the Middle East, this kind of brutality. He said this isn't unusual in his world. It may not be publicized. But but shame on us. Similarly, with in terms of the intelligence agencies, uh, we saw in Helsinki where the president stands alongside of Vladimir Putin, and the 17 intelligence agencies have said that Russia clearly interfered in the 2016 they election. Did. They did. But Donald Trump in Helsinki says, hey, he's my buddy, and he denies it, just like MBS denies the Khashoggi any connection. He, he denies it, so you know I have to agree with him. Yeah. Again, what's the message? Well, I, I, I want to say I don't even think that's normal behavior. Uh, but I think the message for me is that Donald Trump never wanted to show his income taxes, uh, how he earned his money, who, who saved him in bankruptcies, the Russians and the Saudis. Um, so he's, he's a compromised president. And, and who knows what we're going to find out. But uh, I believe that our policy is based on his own personal business relationships uh, and what things people have on him. Right. That's what I believe. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I believe. I, I can't right. prove it, but that's what I believe. But everything he does leads me to believe that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, the question that I've discussed with a lot of my Republican friends is, and there's mixed mixed reaction to it, when Donald Trump is gone, and he will be gone one day, is there a Republican Party left? Does the Republican Party come back? Uh, or is it now the party of Trump and it'll, we'll it's never know the, the party that you represent? The first man I worked for, State Senator Peter Baer, Republican in California. I mean, if someone like uh, John Kasich can take over the party and get nominated and so on, yeah. But the likelihood of that happening is uh, one in 100. Whoa. That's, well, maybe, not, very, that's you know, not very helpful. Well, maybe one in 50. <laughs> so it has to be then a new third party? Um, you know, let me just say it all depends what Democrats do. You know, I mean, Democrats have this golden opportunity. If they get into the impeachment game like we did, Republicans were on a roll with Bill Clinton. I went to Newt and said, Newt, I don't understand this. We're getting so much done with Bill Clinton, and now we're going after him. And and for two years, nothing happened. Nothing happened. I think that was the beginning to the end of Republicans mm. and Democrats talking. The Democrats were willing to support censure of the president on the floor of the House. Uh, they were willing to do that and w- would have been bipartisan. Which would have been justified and um, a, lot smar- a lot smarter. Yeah, because, you know, he was impeached, but he wasn't removed. Right, right, you know? right. And it put everybody, Republicans and Democrats, in a very difficult situation because it got people angry on both sides. Controversy is the enemy of the incumbent of either party. And we created this controversial item that had no solution, so no, nobody was satisfied. I mean, the people who didn't want him impeached were angry, and the people who wanted him impeached were, were angry he wasn't removed from office. <laughs> who was happy? <laughs> Will there be a challenger to Donald Trump in 2020? Oh, gosh, I hope so. I hope so. Heck, I'd even want to challenge him. I mean, <laughs> there you so, go. You heard it here first on the uh, Bill Press show. No, we have no that, there will there will be some people who challenge him. And uh, you mentioned John Kasich. Have you talked to him about it? Um, John doesn't talk to me about those things. I'm I'm really a good friend, uh, but um, the answer to your question is, he. Uh, I mean, think of the bravery of this man. The convention is in his own state. 
and he doesn't support the Republican candidate and therefore doesn't um, go to the convention. Some people said he should have gone to the convention, but he thought that was almost an insult to both parties. So um, I think it was a huge act of bravery, bravery, and 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 frankly, he still kept his popularity. Um, I love the man. I love I love what he says. I love what he thinks. I I admi- I used to be part of a small prayer mm-hmm. group with him, um, with Sonny Bono as well, uh, who is brilliant, who was absolutely a brilliant man and a real mm-hmm. thinker. When uh, when the Republicans took took over, Sonny went to um, to Newt and said, Newt, I would and share. We were the most popular people in the country. You know, we couldn't go anywhere, and it's very enticing and it distorts how you think and act. And you are now in that position. You know, after forty years, you you've led this takeover, and um, Newt didn't listen to him. But but you know, when you sit and talk to John and. He doesn't make a big thing of it, but when you ask him about it, what was it like for him to get a call that his father was killed by a drunk driver and his mother would die before the morning? And he is, you know, in Congress, he's driven by someone back home, and he said to me, you know what it's like to go to a funeral and see two hearses, hearses and know it's and your mother your and mother father, father. Good who Lord. loved him dearly, one a postman, you know, the other a strong-willed woman. Yeah. yeah. No, he, right. he's a beautiful man, and I would love it if he were president. There we go. It's great to visit with you after so many years. Yeah, I'd love yeah. being with you, Bill. Come back again. I okay? will, anytime. Right. I'm not far away. Uh, Chris Shea is a former Republican congressman from Connecticut uh, and uh, a good friend, and uh, just, uh, just and scratch still, the surface of things we can talk about. And still a Republican, and he doesn't know why. That's right. Republican doesn't know. Someday we'll talk about uh, maybe why the Democratic Party has more to offer. That's another conversation. Well, we'll see. All right. You know, yeah. they, they have a chance to prove it. You're right. Absolutely. And uh, I don't think they're going to screw it up. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, too. All right. Appreciate it. When we come back, Daniela Gibbs-Leger joins us from Center for American Progress here on the Bill Press Show this Thursday, November 29th. This is the Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. And on a Thursday, November 29th. Hello, hello. Great to have you with us today. The Bill Press Show. We are uh, here in our studio in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., but we're also there with you everywhere in this great land of ours uh, where you happen to be. We join you online. We join you on the radio. We join you on television. Coming again from Washington, D.C. and our studio on Capitol Hill where we're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard, the United Steelworkers North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Check out their website at usw.org, and we salute them for their efforts to um, bring back uh, manufacturing uh, here in this country, and also, for of course, for their support of the program. Again, check out the website, usw.org. Uh, lots going on, and um, to get into some of the rest of the news of the day, I'm pleased to welcome back to the studio our good friend Daniela Gibbs-Leger from the Center for American Progress with the title of the Senior Vice President for Communications and Strategy. Strategery. 
strategery. Yes. Uh, Peter, I forget who it was we had in yesterday, but I have to tell you, Cap has the longest titles <laughs> yeah. of any organization, I think. This I mean, is, nobody's just ha- has to be a vice president or a senior fellow or something. It's... We didn't even mention that Danielle is part of the Thinking Cap uh, podcast over there, too. That, we just, we just oh, ran I'm sorry. The yeah. We just ran out of room, honestly. Right, right, we, there's only so much ink we have that we can make this happen. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Tell us about the Thinking Cap podcast. So uh, my co-host and I, Ed Chung, we we took it over in September when our uh, initial co-hosts both left uh, mm-hmm. the center. And it is a weekly podcast. Our episodes drop every Thursday. So there's a new one today. Uh, it's 25 minutes of great information. Uh, we have, you know, politicians, newsmakers. Uh, this week's episode, we did a screening of the Sandra Bland documentary that's coming out on HBO. Uh, Say her name, the life and times, life and death of Sandra Bland. And we, I moderated the panel discussion afterwards with the filmmaker and the Bland oh, lawyer. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. And so we turned that into our podcast for this week. So I encourage everyone to check us out on iTunes or wherever you get your uh, podcasts. And it's at Thinking Cat Pod is our Twitter handle. At Thinking Cat Pod. Okay. Yeah. Uh, very good. Thank you. Thank you. For so, that. Um, very tight race in the uh, House of Representatives in the Democratic Caucus yesterday for uh, for the new leader of the uh, mm-hmm. of the uh, now majority uh, Democrats. Uh, were you surprised at how the final vote was? Uh, after all the flap about the uh, the rebellion against Nancy Pelosi, mm-hmm. uh, the vote was 203 to 32, yes. which is particularly significant because two years ago, there were 63 votes against her. Yeah. And everybody said her time is up. You know, mm-hmm. she's losing support. She doesn't, uh, members don't appreciate her anymore. So they got six, the opposition got 63 two years ago. This year, they got half of that, yeah. 32. Mm-hmm. You know, what's, uh, it, what's it say? What's it tell you? <laughs> it says that when Omar from The Wire said, when you come at the king, you best not miss, like that applies <laughs> to Nancy Pelosi. Uh, look, I I understand the, the desire and, and want for for fresh blood, new leadership, all of that. But we all do. Yeah, right? we, we, we all get that. But as somebody else said, you know, when you have a, a, a winning quarterback who wins the Super Bowl and, you know, routes your opponent by, let's say, 40 points or so, you don't, you know, then fire that quarterback. And it just there there's a lot of stuff that's sort of wrapped into that. I think some of it's sexism, ageism, whatever. But you can't deny that she is a successful and effective House leader. I mean, just look at how <laughs> the problems that Paul Ryan and John Boehner had. And she, quite frankly, just doesn't have those issues because she knows how to run that caucus. Now, you can, you can, you know, and I know that some younger members are having conversations about, you know, let's make sure we have more diversity in committees. Uh, let's talk about some of these chairmanships. Let's let's talk about creating new uh, avenues for, for leadership. But you know, they they recognize that you dance with the one who brought you. And Nancy Pelosi is the one who got us here. Right. Um, there were there was another race yesterday, very a lot closer mm-hmm. for head of the Democratic caucus. Uh, it was um, a race between Hakeem Jeffries of New York and Barbara Lee from California. Both progressives, mm-hmm. both very effective. Uh, I mean, Barbara Lee's been around longer, but Hakeem right. Jeffries also already made a mark uh He's 48. She's 72. Mm-hmm. Uh, he won with a very close, 123 to 113. Yeah. 
this this is one case where a younger generation uh, leader uh, yeah. from that younger generation in the in the in the Congress, and nothing anything bad about Barbara at all. I mean, she's been my friend forever. She's great. She's she would have been dynamite there. Love her, love her, love her. But yeah. I think I think she was. That was the one way where people said, okay, this time we have to have somebody younger. Yeah, I, I think she was sort of the, the collateral damage, if you will, from the, uh, the, the well, brouhaha well around, around yeah. Nancy. Yeah. Right. But either one of them, like you said, would would have been great in this role. And now they have um, there's still some, some other leadership positions, uh, so it's not all settled. But clearly, so we go to November 3rd, I mean January 3rd, mm-hmm. um, which is the ultimate vote where every member of Congress has to vote for person of speaker. I mean, and I know there are a lot of stories this morning about, oh... Yeah, still not sure that Nancy Pelosi is going to get it. Look, I mean, right? It's like they're searching for a story here. She'll be the next speaker. She's going to be the next speaker. Like we're we're done here. Like let's you know let's move on and and, and talk about something else. <laughs> I mean, all these new members. The first thing they're going to do is not elect a Republican as right. the speaker of the House. Of course not. No, it's it's ridiculous. And again, I. It's one of those they they want to find these stories where it's like oh well look Democrats like are, is this like analogous to the Tea Party and is mm-hmm. there gonna, is there going to be friction and it, we'll see what happens but I, I don't think that these are two analogous cases at all. All right, before we get um uh, go to, get too much further into the uh, um, other stories of the day, I do have to ask you about the most important story of the day, the one that mm-hmm. everybody is really talking about. Uh, and of course, we're talking about the red trees at the White House. Oh my God! Um, <laughs> so, in case you haven't seen this, right? Oh, I've seen. And it. I've been to the White House so many times for Christmas parties um, under brag. several presidents. <laughs> and 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 the decorations at the White House are incredible. Oh, they're it's so just, beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And even as a member of the public, you can go in during mm-hmm. the day and go through. And the first lady is always in charge of that. Yes. And the first thing, so you go in the east wing of the White House and you go through the east wing into the west wing. Uh, and the east wing of the White House is that long corridor. Yep. That's the first thing you see. And with uh, First Lady Melania Trump, what you see are like 20 or so Christmas trees all yeah. red. Just blood red. Blood red. I, I, I don't Not mean to sound, decorated, but... I don't mean to sound catty. It looks like a horror movie. It does. It looks like it's The Shining. It's a hall full of red trees, and <laughs> she's walking down... They put on the video of all of them, and she's walking down through all the trees with her cape on, and it, honest to God... No. So it's it's horrifying. Uh, it, it is uh, terrifying. If I, if I could show you on my on my iPhone, I was in New York last weekend, and we were down in the meatpacking area at the uh, Whitney Museum. Anyhow, and I suddenly saw this place. I don't even still yet know what it was, but it was this open space, and they had Christmas trees in there. And I took a picture because they were all colored, all so ugly, and they were red, <laughs> and they were orange, and no. they were and they were it was. Ugly, and I took it just how tacky can you get? And then I <laughs> and then, see and then you find out <laughs> you can even get tackier yeah. at the White <laughs> at House. At the White House right? of all places. But Milani was asked about it yesterday, and she says, Oh, this is beautiful. We are in 21st century, and everybody has a different taste. I think they look fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm look. sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't. I don't want to oh. necessarily criticize her taste, but this is a woman who like 
lives in Trump Tower with that decoration <laughs> and it like doesn't throw up every single day. I used to have friends who had the fake tree. I'm a fake tree guy. We've talked about this. But I used cool. to have friends that had the fake tree that were white, like the oh, like yeah. they had like yeah. the fake snow looking thing. And that's not I mean, I thought that was a little tacky. But compared to <laughs> red trees it's terrible. I mean, I had a fake uh, silver tree. That was like my first Christmas tree that I remember growing up. Yeah. And like, and then we we uh, we upgraded to the fake green tree. Yeah. And then we upgraded to the real tree. Yeah. Uh, but I love that little silver tree. But this this the whole hallway of red. Like I said, it, it's like The Shining. The people yep. did like The Handmaid's Tale. Somebody <laughs> did a bunch of gritties, which was hilarious. <laughs> Gritty is so disturbing. Gritty is good. I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go from first lady to first daughter. Oh, uh, so Ivanka Trump, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you would think that, so she claims that she comes into the White House as an advisor to her father and has no idea that you're not allowed to use your private email <laughs> server for government emails. You know, if only How somebody... Could she, what planet was she living on? If only somebody had ran an entire campaign talking about emails and locking people up maybe she would have remembered yeah that right. this is something that she shouldn't do you know the the hypocrisy with this administration with this family it it boils me it makes me so angry uh and they just you know she just sort of walks around and, and speaks in that that voice that i that really gets under my skin like oh i i didn't realize and and, and i've done nothing wrong and it's like okay well then release all of your emails and make them public cuz mm -hmm. that's what hillary did and also hillary did nothing wrong either you know if we're going to you know talk about compare the two of them but it's it's just ridiculous there's like a set of rules for the trumps and a set of rules for everybody else and they just flaunt it because they know nobody no republicans are ever going to hold them to account right so she did this interview on ABC the other night where she did say there's no equivalency between what I did and what Hillary did. They're all stored on the White House system. So everything has been preserved. Everything's been archived. There just is no equivalency between the two things. Well, how do we know that, right? Exactly. So her lawyer says, I looked at them and there's nothing there that uh, has to do with anything uh, important, right? Right. And also, White House emails are not subject to FOIA. So... Yeah, we're just going to take you at your word, Ivanka. That's no. what she's saying. Yeah. Interesting, too, because she was supposed to be the one, remember, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, the word was that there's going to be that guardian angel, right? Uh, <laughs> that conscience, <laughs> voice of conscience in Donald Trump's ear. Right. To speak out on issues mm -hmm. and, and, and to be there as an independent voice. She was asked about that in the same interview. Why haven't, you, why haven't we heard from you? I wasn't elected. So my perspective and opinion is not as relevant. What's relevant is the policies of the White House. Boy, how's a, that for what a, Yeah, I mean, what a what, I wasn't what a elected, so therefore I don't have to say anything at all, right? <laughs> exactly. That is, and the fact is, she has. I mean, she has not fulfilled that role. I mean, when uh, they were uh, taking kids away from their parents at the border, mm -hmm. right? Lock, putting kids in cages. Mm -hmm. This woman who's supposed to be there to represent women's issues, among other things, yeah. when they're firing tear gas canisters at kids across the border. Yeah. Have you heard from her on this issue? I haven't heard anything. No. And, and at the height of the child separation crisis, she posts like this loving picture with her and her kids. Like, well, isn't that lovely for you, Ivanka, that you can do this? I mean, how tone deaf uh, can you be? And the answer is extremely when it comes to Very that. tone deaf. Yes. Yeah. Very, very tone deaf. Very. Right. 
Um, so um, her father, Donald Trump, now to the president, uh, really on the warpath more than ever. I guess the campaign's over, so he doesn't have all these campaign rallies to distract him. So he's back to Twitter and back to Donald, uh, to Robert Mueller. Yeah. Right. And a series, I mean, this week has been every day a new line of attack against Robert Mueller. Um, uh, maybe the worst of yesterday was where he retweeted this photo, uh, uh, an image, not a photo, of um, uh, about a dozen people behind bars, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we know, now that we know the idea of collusion is a lie. When did the treason trials start? I'm <laughs> paraphrasing exactly what right. he said. Right. And behind bars, meaning he thinks they ought to be behind bars or on trial for treason, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, James Comey, Robert Mueller himself, yeah. Kamala Harris, Eric Holder, right. Rod Rosenstein, who's the deputy attorney general <laughs> of the United States. I mean, yeah. the man has no... Bounds, right? No None. limit at all. And you know, and I, I laugh. I, I mostly laugh to keep from crying. Um, I mean, it, part of it is funny, but it's, it's so. He has so broken the norms of what it means to be the president of the United States. And I, it is. If you had said, you know, six years ago that somebody, not necessarily Donald Trump, but somebody would do this type of thing as a president, I would say that's not possible, because. People would see that as insane and not appropriate, and somebody would stop it. But here we are two years in, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. And I just, you know, I I, I hope that he doesn't break it so much that it's we're, you know, just damaged and our politics are just going to be broken from here on out in a way that's, like, worse than, like, the usual partisan bickering. But I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really worried about the fate of this country. It does raise the question about whether this is a new norm. Right. God forbid. Yeah. Uh, I it mentioned... certainly feels like it, right? It does. Yeah. When you see, and I just talked about this with former Congressman Chris Shays, when you see the appalling silence on the part of Republicans about anything that Donald Trump says or does. Right. That they've basically surrendered to him. Uh, he's taken over the Republican Party. It's now the Trump Party. And um, they didn't even put up a good fight, you know? I no. mean, Now, all in the name of, you know, they want to get their tax cuts through and, you know, their judges. deregulation and their judges. So they will hold their nose. They will, you know, support him behind closed doors and and all of that to, to further their agenda. And it's, it's really disgusting. Right. Uh, And the other thing that Donald Trump did yesterday was he told uh, the New York Post uh, in a one-on-one interview in the Oval Office when they asked him about, would you consider pardoning um, Paul Manafort? Mm -hmm. said, yeah, of course. Why would I not? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Why would I take it off the table? Right. Right. And I I think people need to remember that the presidential pardon is not like some absolute power that he has. Um, you know, if I recall correctly, like part of the issue with with Nixon was that he was also talking about this to even a, a less brazen extent than Donald Trump does. Uh, so he he doesn't just have the right to pardon whoever he wants at any time. And, you know, I just, you know, Robert Mueller, you know, he, this guy keeps his head down. He's just doing his work methodically. And I'm sure he's like took note of that interview as well. And this is putting it in his notebook and adding it to his files. Uh, Jeff Tubin, a, legal, a good friend of mine and legal analyst on uh, on CNN last night, 
talked about from a legal point of view. From a, you know when so here you have a special counsel appointed by the deputy attorney general of the United States conducting a criminal investigation of the president of the United States uh, and uh, and the he's suggesting the president is suggesting that he would pardon one of the chief witnesses against him. What message is that sending? Jeff Tubin saying from a legal point of view, it's just so far over the line. This is egregiously inappropriate behavior on the part of the president. It is all but an encouragement to tell to, to Paul Manafort to stop cooperating, to don't get involved with Mueller, to take your punishment. I will take care of you later. It's egregiously wrong. But is it something that will lead to impeachment? I don't think so. That's that's the um, yeah. I mean that's the message, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Paul, don't cooperate right. with these guys. Yeah. Don't I worry got about you. It. I'll take care yeah. of you. Yeah. No, it's it's really, it's it's truly disgusting. And and like I said, I just there's so much awfulness coming out of this administration and so many terrible things that they're doing that sometimes you get lost in all of that. And like this is what Robert Mueller is doing, investigating the president for possible collusion with a foreign entity and obstruction, to, of, and justice. obstruction of justice like that's huge and and i mean i wonder why trump is is lashing out and doing all this stuff well, but like, uh, it's, again my theory is that he 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 sees that they're closing in on him oh yeah he feels it uh, and he feels it and he knows yeah. he's guilty and he feels cornered and you know right, be, right because striking they're back because they're uh, bad at what they do so they're not even bad at, <laughs> they're not even good at breaking the law right um, so there's a new sheriff in town, so, so to speak, or will be January 1 when Democrats take back control of the House. We started talking about the uh, – uh, we know who the new leader is going to be. What do you think that – what what from you at CAP, um, what do you people – as this brilliant left-leaning think tank advising the Democrats? What's the agenda, Democratic agenda? What do you expect out of this Democrats in Congress? Uh, well, for one, there will be oversight, obviously, that's been lacking for the last two years. And, you know, something that uh, my boss, Nir Tandon, mentioned um, a couple weeks ago after the election was, you know, oversight in a way that directly relates to people. So I don't think Democrats will fall into, like, the trap that Republicans did and just hold meaningless hearings. Like, they're going to hold hearings about things that actually impact the American people's lives and the egregious illegal mm. things that are happening. Uh, but I also, you know... What did you run on? You ran on, you know, bringing, you know, good governance back to D.C. You ran on, you know, reforming the way politics are done. So I am hopeful and expecting that there there will be some sort of ethics package uh, coming out, you know, in the first couple of days of the new Congress to show we are different. Like you elected us to be different. And here, here you go. Here's a set of reforms to change how we do business. So it's not, you know, just that. You know, you come into Congress and you're just doing the bidding of your wealthy donors. Uh, all the stories that I've seen about, oh, oh, Democrats could go too far. You know, they could abuse <laughs> their power and everything. These people, again, underestimate Nancy Pelosi. Exactly. And She's, her leadership. They, She's they not going to really let do. that happen. Yeah. You know, I, I meant to get this in earlier. I hate to rush it at the very end, but I have to get this out. So I learned something yesterday that just scared the crap out of me. Uh-oh. So, you know, Chuck Grassley is moving from judiciary to be the new chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, which means the next chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee is going to be Lindsey Graham. Oh, God. Imagine that after God. that performance at the at the Kavanaugh hearing. And <laughs> Senator Graham said 
they're going to be holding hearings in the Judiciary Committee. I kid you not. Mm. And he mentioned two things that they're definitely going to hold hearings on in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Hillary Clinton's emails. <laughs> and, and the Steele dossier, the Christopher Steele dossier. I'm really? pissed. Yeah. There he is. There's Lindsay. There's Lindsay. I I'm mean... pissed. I'm pissed. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Can you believe? <laughs> Just hold it. The Senate Judiciary is going to go back and hold more hearings on Hillary Clinton's emails oh, and God. more hearings on the Steele dossier. You know what? A pox on Lindsey Graham. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, I, don't, I don't know what happened to that man in the past couple of years and what Donald Trump has on him or, or what, but the 180 that he has done and just unbelievable the, yeah it, it really is unbelievable right. hey uh daniela thanks so much for coming in don't forget <laughs> it's americanprogress.org right yeah that's right uh thanks for coming in happy holidays Same all right you. all right this is the bill press show